Good morning, everyone. My name's Graham. I'm um, the minister here. If you're visiting with us, it's great to have you here. Um, uh, I hope you feel welcome and um, great to have you part of celebrating Easter with us. Uh, don't forget to come on Sunday, will you? Because uh, this is only what we're going to say this morning. It's only part one. It's sort of half the story. It's like reading a book and then just finishing halfway and putting it down. You need to come on Sunday. Um, now, the other thing I want to say before we start is that um, this church loves children. And um, we love children who are children and just being kids. So um, if your children make a bit of noise in the next sort of 20 or so minutes, that's fine by us, okay? No problem at all. But if you think that they might need something a bit extra to keep them busy because you don't really think that I'm going to be the most entertaining 20 minutes of your life, um, which is quite possible, then up the back there there's some colouring in pencils and some sheets and so on. Now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to just go and get a drink of water, and if you want that for your kids, go now. You ready? No one's watching, I swear. There we go. Now, on Sunday morning, just while the kids are doing that, on Sunday morning, we will have a much more of a, uh, well, let's just call it an interactive kids cele- uh, family celebration, okay? Um, today's not as much like that. All right, I think that's all I needed to say um, as we start. Let me get myself organised here. Well, friends, um, I love stories. Uh, I really do. I love stories. I love true stories. In fact, I'm... I'm not really one for fiction. I know, and people, people say, well, you lack imagination. My wife shakes her head at me with disappointment. Um, I lack emotion and creativity and blah, blah. Yeah, OK, fair enough, yes. But I love stories about real people, you know? Real, real heroes, um, real relationships. Uh, a few years back, I read a book, and he, this, is a, this is what it's called. It's... Um, uh, It's called Brave, and I've forgotten my clicker, so it's over here. Now, this is a great little book. Um, It's called Brave Ordinary Australians and Their Extraordinary Acts of Courage. That's what it is. It tells a story, it's written by a friend of Michelle and I, it tells a story of real, uh, real stories of real people doing extraordinary things to save the lives of others, and then how they coped with it afterwards. There's a story of uh, policeman Alan Sparks who rescued 12-year-old Jai Galloway from a swollen stormwater drain. You might remember it happened a few years back in Newcastle. He risked his own life to, and to haul his 110-kilogram frame through slimy pipes about 90 centimetres in diameter as the water was rising to rescue this uh, young kid who had jumped in this whirlpool of of stormwater. Why he'd do that, I don't know. There's a story of um, Jim Runman, who is a 37-year-old school teacher with a sort of gammy knee, walked with a, with a stick, and he pursued on foot a armed bank robber after witnessing the, the crime. And at one point, the, the robber actually turned around and shot at him. And that didn't stop him. He kept moving and kept uh, chasing this guy. Then there was a guy called Len Williams, 
real people. Uh, a, a train guard who jumped from a moving train, this is the central coastline, to pull a toddler from the tracks with just a second to spare before the southbound express from Gosford cleaned them both up. Great stories. The story we read today from Luke's Gospel that Diana just read for us sure is heroic. It's a, it's a heroic story. An innocent man, a good man, who helped many, sent to his death a crime against justice, you could say. But I tell you, this story could feel a little distant. Like, like much of the stories in this book, I wasn't there. You know, it's good reading and so on, but it's such a long time ago in a foreign place. What's this story of Jesus and the cross got to do with me? Because that's the Bible's claim, isn't it? That's Jesus' claim that the cross of Christ is not just a good story. The day Jesus died is not just about Jesus. It's about me and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus. It's about God and us. Now, there's no fiction here. This is a real story of the real historical Jesus. Real people. A real God. Here is God's story about his son and you and me. The story of the cross was the greatest story ever told. Let's find out why. So, there's four scenes we're going to go through. If you got an outline as you came in, you've got your bulletin there. It's a yellow sheet of paper. Have a look at the outline, scribble some things down if you like. Uh, if you've got a Bible, get your Bible open. Follow along. Let's go to scene one. The way to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Here we go. Golgotha, Matthew and Mark call it Golgotha. Uh, Calvary, some people call it. And there's talk of judgment. Physically, Jesus is now unable to carry his own cross. Due to the whipping and the beatings, the horror of what had just gone before. So a, a man from the country, Simon of Cyrene, probably a fairly strong looking fellow. That's why he was picked out of the crowd. He's, he's pulled out and he's forced to help Jesus. Interesting little fact, we read later in Romans that Simon's family, his father Rufus, became a Christian, became a follower of Jesus. Maybe they, they were there at the time and maybe they witnessed these events and were touched by these events and, and turned to follow Jesus. Well, verse 27 of chapter 23 tells us that a large number of people followed along. Now, many of them were women. They were mourning and wailing it was no doubt a chaotic scene. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, people beat their breasts. They beat their breasts as a sign of mourning. And also, often it's with injustice too, mourning at that. And so you can imagine those streets as they made this big group of people, made their way out through these cramped conditions, these cramped streets, out of Jerusalem, up to the place where they would crucify Jesus. These women, history tells us, not, not quite sure if this is a word you would read in historical textbooks, 
But these women were crucifixion groupies. Bear with me for a moment. (laughs) Historians tell us that such women went to the crucifixions and they went there to weep and to wail. It was a common sight and a common sound. Now, it's not that they didn't care. It's not like, oh, what are you doing this afternoon, Cheryl? Oh, what are you doing this afternoon, Susan? Well, I'm going to that. Actually, that probably wouldn't have had a Cheryl or Susan back then. But anyway, well, uh, it's not that they were going to the footy or something. They were going to the latest chariot race. Oh, you going to the chariot race? Well, I'm going up to the crucifixions. No, no, no. They actually went there to comfort those being, that comfort those being crucified. They went there to mourn for them. So Jesus turns to these women. Look at verse 28. And he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Hold on. Why is Jesus... Weep for ourselves, these women ask. You're the one getting crucified. No, no, we're we're here weeping for you. That's how it works. Uh, Jesus says terrible times are coming. Look at verse 29. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. See, in the Old Testament and Judaism, children are meant to be a blessing. Uh, Psalm 127 says that blessed is the man who has a full quiver of them. Five, ten, fifteen... Yes, and I'm struggling to understand that sort of blessing as well. Um, but it is, it's there. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus says in verse 29 that such trouble will come, terrible times are coming, that it will be regarded as a blessing not to have children. It will be regarded as a blessing to be barren. These are shocking words to these people who knew their Old Testaments. And so Jesus uses the words of Hosea 10, written 800 or so years before this point, when the prophet Hosea speaks of the coming judgment on Israel because of their unfaithfulness to God. So people will cry out for death to escape the coming wrath. They would rather have the mountains fall on them than to face the reality of God's judgment. And so verse 30 and 31 says, Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus says to these women, when it comes to God's judgment, if God does not spare the innocent Jesus, that's the doing these things, that's what that refers to there, Jesus who is like a green tree that does not burn up, then what will happen to guilty people such as the people of Jerusalem, that are dry wood, well, that is, they will face the the fire of God's judgment. And it'll be terrible. So as Jesus makes his way to his death, he speaks to these women and he speaks to us here today of the reality of something all of us must face. Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. See, the reality of our lives is that one day they will end and we'll meet our maker and we'll have to give an account of our lives to him. And the truth is that that we all reject God as our maker, as our ruler. 
And we do it by trying to run life our own way. Romans 3 states something that we all know, that there's no one righteous, there's no one perfect, not even one. All have turned away. That's what we're all like. You, me, we're all included. Now, God won't let us rebel forever, the Bible says. God says that his punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Okay, so that might sound harsh. I don't know. If you're hearing that for the first time, maybe again, it sounds pretty harsh. But let's go to our next scene. Let's go to scene two. So they reach their destination. Two other criminals join Jesus to be crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus fulfills the prophecy of of Isaiah we read before. He is numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 12. He's hanging there amongst the criminals. He's numbered with the transgressors, the, the, the sinful. And as they drove the nails in both his wrists and ankles... Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who would dare to do what they were doing if they had any idea who they were doing it to? See, at the forefront of Jesus' mind in such horrific circumstances is is what? Is forgiveness. Jesus died with forgiveness on his mind. Well, they cast lots and divided his clothes. A sign is placed above Jesus' head. This is the king of the Jews. Now, usually such a sign simply implies the crime the person has committed. But here is a statement from the Romans to the Jews, isn't it? This is your king. Here he is, crucified, beaten, hanging there naked, humiliated, powerless. This is your king, Jews. Well, some stand back and watch. And others mock him. They, they scoff as someone weak and powerless, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. But they miss the point, don't they? See, the point is, Jesus was not crucified so he could save himself. He could have. He could have jumped down off that cross. He died to save others. That's the point. That's why he was there. That's why he came. He died to save sinners. Just like these people. Just like you and I. In his love for us, Jesus died as our substitute. He died in our place. His death enables our forgiveness as he took the punishment for our rebellion against God. Our sin, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, like an airbag protecting a driver in a head-on, is absorbed in Jesus' death. In the cross, God has acted to reverse the effects of sin and judgment. No wonder Christians call it good news. (laughs) It's great news. Maybe that's why we call it Good Friday. Ephesians 2 Ephesians 5, verse 2, I should say. There we go, that's it. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As the prophet Isaiah wrote some 800 or so years before Jesus, that by the death of the Christ, the suffering servant Jesus, 
we have peace with God, we are healed from our sin. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So where does that leave you and I? Let's read on. Scene 3. Now one of the criminals there started hurling insults at Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal on Jesus' other side rebuked him saying, look at verse 40, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he looked across at Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now at this point, it's hard for us to imagine but we may well hear the continued laughter of the people surrounding the cross, the scoffs listening into this conversation. Kingdom? You're kidding, aren't you? It hardly looks very powerful. You're up on a cross. You're being crucified. It's the most humiliating thing anyone can go through. It's hardly very successful. You don't look much like a king. But what's weakness to us as human beings is actually strength to God. See, this criminal acknowledges his rebellion and its consequences. He gets it right there and then. He gets it. He turns to Jesus and knew that this man, Jesus, was no ordinary man and that through him was forgiveness and a real hope after death, uh, which for him was coming in any minute now. In Jesus was a kingdom that gives life new life well this man discovered as he hung there waiting to die that only jesus can give that promise of life so jesus promises with the authority only the son of man has in verse 43 i tell you the truth today you'll be with me in paradise let's go to our final scene it seems this criminal was not the only one with a new beginning it was about midday and darkness came over the land until about three in the afternoon. Back in town, just a few kilometres away, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, the Gospels say, and Jesus breathed his last. The way was now open to God. The temple curtain, it was, it, it was, it, it was thick, don't think, you know, just your lounge room curtains. We're talking about this thickness. This is an incredible uh, piece of, I don't want to say fabric, but it's more than that. And what it did, it separated the area of the temple which represented God's presence from the rest of the temple. And only certain priests were allowed in at only certain times of the year. But with such powerful symbolism, it's torn in two. Anyone anyone can come into the presence of god anyone by jesus death anyone can be friends with him even a hardened roman centurion well luke tells us that this centurion in verse 47 uh, well he'd be well trained 
This is what he did. This is his job. This wasn't his first crucifixion. He was the guy in charge of today's proceedings. He knew life and death. He'd seen many crucifixions. On this day, though, Luke tells us that this centurion acknowledged something that many others had not on this day. Luke records the centurion's words as he looked up to Jesus, praising God, saying, surely this was a righteous man. Mark's gospel records the centurion saying, surely this man was the son of God. The centurion, the criminal at Jesus' side, perhaps you today, realised that this Jesus is no ordinary man. What happened that day was no ordinary day. This was no ordinary heroic story. Here was Jesus, God's son, taking the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion, enabling forgiveness, a clean slate with God as we come to him in trust and ensuring the promise of life that only Jesus can offer. How can Jesus offer such a promise? Life, life eternal, eternal life no less. Come back on Sunday. You'll find out. (laughs) Friends, it's a great story, what we've read from Luke's Gospel and reading the other Gospels too. Please don't leave it at that. Don't leave it as just as a great story. Jesus actually invites us to come to the cross and meet him there, like the centurion, like the criminal. Come to the cross, not because it's Easter, but because the cross is the story of Jesus. The cross is the story of you and I. It's the story of God and us. A little while back, um, we had a family holiday where we took a fantastic boat trip. Uh, it sounds very exotic, and I guess it is. We were in Oman. Oman is, uh, shares a border with the UAE on the Arabian Peninsula. It was beautiful water, perfect weather. It was great fun. Um, Now, being the family that we were and are, as we boarded the boat, the first thing we did, we climbed sort of, we crossed and uh, we climbed in. It was a big boat. And the first thing we did was we looked around to the highest point where we could jump off into the water. (laughs) That looks pretty high. Can we get up there? Where's an eye looking? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. We'll give it a go anyway. um, A little while into our trip, the boat anchored at this beautiful uh, cove We gave each other the nod and up we climbed. A bunch of Swedish tourists and a whole lot of people were watching us, of course. And we plunged in. Here's a photo. (laughs) Excuse the nakedness. Um, It was was great. The funny thing was that of the 50 or so on board, no one else really joined in. No one else. It was just us. Now... I don't know, maybe it's an Australian cultural thing. I'm sure you and I would have, you guys would have done the same thing. Um, perhaps they were too scared. Uh, maybe they were a little embarrassed. Maybe they were waiting for something better. Well, they're not going to get it. They weren't going to get it. This was perfect. Uh, you, can, you can't really see the water there, but it was just perfect. Friends, can I encourage you, don't hold back. I come to the cross... Meet Jesus there. Plunge in. Plunge in today. There's a wonderful gospel hymn called Glory to His Name or Down at the Cross. Uh, Let me close by reading some of the words. 
The first verse, it's not up there. The first verse says, Down at the cross where my Saviour died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. And the final verse says, Come to this fountain so rich and sweet, cast thy poor soul at the Saviour's feet, plunge in today, be made complete. And the chorus says, There is no other who saves. There is no other who heals. There is no other who gives his own life so that we might live. Friends, let's pray together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you, for, thank you for your love for us in Jesus. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only Son so that we could have life, we could have eternal life as we believe in him. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us, that you gave yourself for us. Thank you, Lord, that you took on uh, the wrath of God, God's judgment upon yourself, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made right, Lord, uh, righteous in your eyes. Lord, today we pray that we would come to the cross. For many of us here today that we've done that before, we pray that we'd do it again this morning. And Lord, I pray for those people who maybe today for the first time are coming to you, Lord Jesus. We pray that we would all put our trust in you. Lord, we're sorry that we do uh, stuff up and we'd get things wrong. We thank you that, Jesus, you died for us so that we'd be forgiven the slate wiped clean. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to continue um, our time uh, thinking about the cross of Jesus. We're going to uh, share in a, a small meal together, as it, as it is. Um, a communion service. What, what I'd, I'd like to say before we get started is that um, uh, if you're new to us today, uh, as I said, it's great to have you here. Um, we're actually doing something a little bit different as a church for the first time as we share communion together. If you are here last week, uh, I talked a bit about that. If you want to know some more details about why we're doing what we're doing as we share communion this way, at the back there next to the colouring-in sheets are um, some, uh, some instructions and, well not instructions, some explanations about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, if you're a visitor and you're not, or if you're not quite sure today where you sit with God, um, then feel free to pass the cup along, uh, the trays and the bread. Just pass along, that's absolutely fine. Um, we're all okay with that. If, you don't, if that's, that's okay by you, we're okay with it too. So feel free to just pass it along. But if, um, as Dennis said before, if Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, uh, if today you're celebrating his death for you on the cross, then please join us. Uh, join us, please do. If you've got some kids, um, and if you would like as mums and dads, I'm speaking to the mums and dads now, uh, mums and dads, it's our responsibility to bring up our children um, and, uh, and help them to get to know Jesus and know Jesus. If you would like your children to join in, and your intention one day is, well, your intention is for them to always know Jesus, then please, um, have them sit with you. Feel free just to take a moment 
um, as we wait for everyone to have the cup and the bread. Feel free to take a moment and talk to your kids about what you're doing. You can do that. Um, that'd be a good thing to do. If you need to uh, go and get your kids and bring them, I'm going to use the excuse of the glass of water again, and this works well. So if you want to grab your kids and get them to sit with you, uh, that'll be great. Uh, please do that. We won't actually have kids just taking communion at the back on their own. Um, kids will take communion um, with their parents. So uh, my helpers know that. We're not going to hand it out to them at the back on their own. But if, they, if your kids want to have communion with you, that's your decision, um, then please have them sit with you. I'm going to get that glass of water.